Hey, Starting Nine listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball Nip. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball Nips and have a great time on the golf course. On today's starting nine, Jake and Carl get into some of the college baseball action that's coming up this weekend with special guest Stephen Schock, college baseball insider Stephen Schock, we should say. Uh, There's also some power rankings, some major headlines, including a former manager of ours that just got fired. And we're going to do a little heat check for the first time ever and maybe talk college bats because we need to talk about the metal bats. Let's get into it. Let's have some fun. It's starting nine. Action! Welcome back to Starting Nine. It's your host, Carl, here in Chicago. We've got Colin Cooper out in New York on the ones and twos, and my guy, Jake Sleeveless. Mm, back, back to the sleeveless. I mean, it's 104. It's going to kind of be this way for the next week or so. And I, I took the dog on a run before I sat down to do, do the show, and I was still, like, still very sweaty beforehand, so I wasn't going to put a, a real shirt on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your pace when you do a run 104 in Texas? Are you like, if you were on a treadmill, what are you, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half? Yeah, around there. I, I've never claimed to be a, a really good runner. I'm good at running long distance, but I my pace isn't great. I think it's more about just, just keeping your feet moving. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't set any records. Um, yeah, I'm not a phenomenal uh, speed runner. By any means, short burst, distance, short distances, I'm great. If I'm running a mile, I can run a mile around six, low sixes, low sixes. But then every mile after that is progressively getting much slower. Uh, So I typically, I like to run three or four, I'd say two and a half to three miles routinely, sometimes up to five with the dog, but not going for time, just trying to get a nice sweat in. So running is one of those things like reading a book. I see someone reading a book. I'm like, man, I should read more books. And I'm like, I'm going to read more books. And I never read a book. And, or if I read one book, I'm like, I'm going to read books now. I should join a book club. Running's very similar. I see someone running. I'm like, man, that'd be a nice hobby. Look, that guy's in shape. They seem at peace. And then you go for one run. You're like, this is why I don't fuck it. It's like you re- get to halfway through the book. You're like, this is why I don't read books, man. Now you're just thinking about the book. You know, the book ends up in the book bag. You're going to the airport. I'll read the book. You're never going to read the book, dude. Put the book back on the shelf. That's we talked about this, I think, I guess, last episode. Like doing things that are hard, you know, things you don't want to do, finding a way to force yourself to do them. And that's how I am with running. Um, again, like I don't, I don't love to run. I do it because in my mind, it's the best way to gauge where your cardiovascular, like capacity is at. Like if you're, if you, if you think you're in shape or if you're not sure you want to find out, just go for, go run a quarter mile, go run a half mile, whatever seems difficult for you. Just go do that. Not at a crazy pace, just run. And you'll, you'll find out real quick where you stack up as far as your cardio. So, uh, the first couple of weeks of, of running for me, like I wouldn't say first couple of weeks, maybe first four runs is kind of a pain in the ass, but I always feel way better after. And then now it's just, kind of part of the routine and my dog needs it so i I do it more or less for her 
and it's 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 good to stay in shape too. I like it because I my my workouts are typically pretty hard, and I don't like to do cardio while I'm working out. So I, I like to mix in a nice run. Well, I like yeah. When you're working out, you want to keep the heart rate elevated. You want to keep moving. You get your cardio through the repetitions. If we if I've learned correctly. No, you're right. Well, it depends on what your goals are. Like I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder or uh, a world's strongest man by any means. So I incorporate cardio into my lifting by just minimizing the rest in between sets, doing um, sets that are like higher numbered sets, anywhere from like 15 to 30, which you you kind of experienced with me when you were here in Austin. Uh, and it, it burns, man. When you do sets of 30, not only does it, you know, it's, it's fatiguing the muscle, but it gets your heart rate up. We like that. We like a lot about that. Uh, get the heart rate up. I got to work out more. I played golf yesterday with Daniel Hudson, former teammate of yours. That guy hits the ball a mile. I mean, I'm out there. I'm like, dude, I can't believe how far you hit this ball. If you ever get out of the bullpen with the Dodgers, man, just do some long drive contests. You guys play golf together. Does he hit farther than you? Who's we got, did. He's got a bigger tee shot. Uh, I mean, I think we're about the same. Yeah, I mean, he we're anywhere from like 305 to 330, I would say. You know, and then there's the the fucking snap hooks that go 240. Let's not forget about that. Though those are in the bag. Uh, but no, he's he's uh, he's a good ball striker, and, and most most pitchers hit the ball far. I mean, the guy, one of the pitchers I played with, that was surprisingly short off the tee. No offense to him, because he he used to throw. Well, he still throws a billion. Uh, he's one of the best closers of all time, and Craig Kimbrell. Not what you would expect uh, from from a tee shot, but I can't I can't say shit because he took some money from me a few times on the golf course. He can play. He's just you know you would expect him to hit at three sixty. I think he's got sauce. I think you throw that guy hundred in, he's gonna spin it, he's gonna flip it. He's probably got some nasty sauce on him. No, he does. He does. He does. No, but but Hudson, good player. We we went out to Torrey Pines when I was uh with them in San Diego. Uh, we played a bunch of good golf courses there. Del Mar is really nice. The guys wanted to go play Tory. I typically don't like to play Tory unless you can get one of the first tee times off because it's so fucking slow. You're playing a four and a half hour round and it just kind of takes away from your ability to enjoy the round. I, I don't mind sitting out there for a while, but when you're going like three, four, five minutes in between shots, it gets a little, uh, it gets a little ridiculous. And, um, so I get out there, let's say seven fifteen. Huddy's already on the driving range and I, I go up there and, um, so the walk to the range is probably, you know, 150, 200 yards. And as I'm on my way, I just see Huddy like shanking balls, right? Just nonstop shank, right? Shank, right? Shank, right? So I get over there and I like, I saw him hit a few. I'm like, Hey man, like, how's it going? What's up? You ready to play? And he goes, man, I might leave. Like I haven't hit a ball straight yet. I go, dude, you ain't going anywhere. Like we're about to, we're about to tee it up. We're about to have a good day. Like, it's going to be awesome. Like, let's, let's do this. So we start, we start the round. He's playing, he's playing. Okay. I mean, he, I think he doubled the first hole. He had a par in there, but then we get on the third or fourth tee box and you know how you'll take your driver and just kind of rest your weight on it sometimes when you're just fucking around the tee box. So he does that and his shaft snaps in half. So not only, not only was he not, he couldn't hit a ball straight on the range. We get out there and he, he shatters his driver. So didn't start out so well for him. 
but we had we had we had a blast. I mean, the guy lost his uh, he lost his driver. I let him use mine. Everything worked out fine. Oh man, it's good teammates right there. Guy just gets guys just new teammates right right away. Use the equipment because that's a personal thing. You come in, hey, can I? Ch- Take Check it. out this hybrid yeah, it's in your, the bag. It's what's tough. mine is yours. Yeah, I, I don't care what's in the bag. If you want to hit it, go for it. Uh, I think he shot. I think he went pretty low. And then it was cool because normally in the times I played golf before, uh, you know, like MLB guys, it's usually off days. This was unique because it was like we're on the 18th hole. It's like, hey, we got to get in the car, go back. I got to get the bus and go over to yeah. the White Sox game. <clears throat> and it was cool to hear about yeah. how his kind of experience, he was like, yeah, this is definitely not something I would have done early in my career. You know, I'm in the back end of my career. I'm comfortable getting on the 330 bus. You know, when I was a younger guy, I'd have to go and, uh, you know, I'd want to be the first guy there and all this stuff. So it was kind of just cool to hear the culture and spend a time with a guy who, you know, he is having a lot of successes here. He has had success as a reliever. He's been in the big leagues for a long time, and he's got a cool career. And it's just the way he carries himself is very professional and uh, in an enjoyable route, man. Honestly, like I felt – it's not like we're sitting there like getting loaded or anything like that. It's just cool to have a casual conversation. Then it's like I'm like, wait, do you even know he's like good on the White Sox, like going to the game tonight? He's like, yeah, I know what's going on. I have an idea of like – I know I know who the players are. So Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. He didn't get in last night though. He didn't. So we got a, we got our eye on Daniel Hudson this week in Chicago. Super nice guy. Glad to spend some time with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice to to be able to get out and play before games. And let's be honest, like it gets your body loose. Like it's not it's not overly strenuous by any means. And especially in his position or like Kimbrel, they can play golf. They can like go back to the hotel, shower up, whatever, get there late go through their routine and relax and fuck, you got to throw 20 pitches. If you can't do that, like you need to, you need to get yourself in a little bit better shape to where you can play golf and still go get three outs. And you mentioned about how he wouldn't do that, have done that early in his career. And I think that sucks because that old mentality is so fucking stupid because look, if, if guys are getting to the field and doing the routine and everything they need to do to get prepared to help the team win, who gives a fuck if they're there at, at one o'clock or three o'clock? I've never gave a shit about when guys get to the field. As long as you're getting there with enough time to take care of what you need to take care of, get the body loose before you go out and, and team stretch with the, with the bullpen or the starters or the position players. Doesn't matter. I mean, can't, don't you agree that that's just like, that's such a dumb thing that, that older players like, made younger players do just because uh you know seniority or you just wanted the younger guys there before you for whatever reason yeah i think there's this old culture that's that is going away quickly i think it's ushered in by the fact of analytics and like there there's more of this like well why are you valuable valuable it's like well i've been around 15 years and you better shut up like oh that stuff's gone dude like you really got to be somebody special i mean not to belabor the point but fucking 20 30 years ago if that cubs run happens like there's no way riz is playing for the yankees there's just no way but like the just the culture around baseball has changed where people are willing to let senior statesmen leave and now it's kind of impacted where i think you just don't have guys like before like i'm saying like you could be a guy who's been in the big leagues forever and just based on that you're never you're gonna have authority any clubhouse you walk in like well there's only one reason that teams would ever let a guy like that go And I think it's pretty obvious. They believe that their best years are behind them. And, you know, they don't want to get, they don't want to put themselves in a position where they uh, have to second guess the, you know, that contract. Teams don't want to 
hear the backlash from a fan base or from baseball or whoever, like, can't believe you signed this guy. Like, look, look how shitty he's playing. So I, unless there's some, some other mystery reason, but I mean, you don't, you don't think Riz is still going to be good for another four or five years. I mean, I certainly think he, I mean, I think he is, I think he's the type of guy, but he's got to be in a good environment where he wants to, you know, I don't think you can put Anthony Rizzo at first base, throw a bunch of Joes around him and pretend it's the same fucking thing it was. No, 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 absolutely not. I think think that's where I think people lose it. It's like, well, why not just rebuild around him? It's like, dude, the the glory days are gone. You're not going to recapture that same level of intensity and stuff. So do I think he'd be this good on the Cubs, though, as he is on the Yankees? Absolutely not. Well, he's, he doesn't have the same guys around him either. Like when you insert a guy like Rizzo in a lineup that's already that potent, it just elevates your game. That's like we were talking about Nick Marquez a couple of weeks ago. If you were to take him out of the Orioles lineup and put him in Boston or in New York during that that prime run of his career, I mean, the guy, he's a, he's a no doubt Hall of Famer. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? So maybe the Cubs are trying to preserve some of that money for some of these other guys they might want to give it to. And there, there are some guys in there. I think so. And I think it's a matter of like, it, you say you want to bring these guys up and people say like, all right, well, we have to bring these people up. Well, they need places to play. And like, if you have players anchored into these positions for years and stuff, it makes it more challenging. Like the people keep saying extend, like there's one clear cut example about the Cubs and we're going to, we're bearing a lead. We are definitely going to talk about Joe Madden. That's at the forefront of my mind. But before we do, I, this is at the top of my mind. Now we're talking about Christopher Morrell, the player for the Cubs. I brought him up last episode, dude, if they go out and they sign Carlos Correa for seven years, or if they extend Javi Baez, like, it's not just that you have these players there, then you're, you're any other player that's going to come up or you're trying to develop then like you just basically cut off one position for a number of years where they're at a position where they're trying to find young players. So I think there's this, you have to spend a year or two where you're bringing up as many guys as you can. And it just takes time. Like it takes, it takes a couple of seasons to rebuild. So I just, it takes a while. Yeah. A good, I mean, look yeah, at some for, of the, other, some of these other teams like that have been, been in a, a, a building phase for a decade. And then like certain guys pan out, the other guys don't. A couple guys get hurt. It's just people underperform. It's just you can have a plan until you know something starts to go sideways, and then you gotta gotta readjust or continue to try and draft as well as you can. I mean, honestly, the Marlins have been trying to build it since they brought in Ozzy and they traded for Burley and hurt and they signed or they signed Burley and they signed uh, what you call it, you know, Jose Reyes, and they did all that crazy shit. I just. We'll get to so let's just talk about Joe Man for a second because we're going back to Rizzo and the Cubs and Joe left went over the Angels we brought up last week on the show and we'll just there's there's three kind of big headlines that I suppose two I'd like to spend some time on here and that's Joe Man getting fired and we brought up last week like is he on the hot seat is he not on the hot seat and I was bringing it up just because I thought it was something we'd be following later in the season like I know you drop a couple early like not a couple I mean franchise record thirteen in a row now but just based on when you hire Joe. It's not you're just bringing in a manager. You are like really adopting a different kind of culture and shift. He's intense. He has his hands over everything. Like a Joe Club is way different than not a Joe Club. And I'm surprised Art Moreno, who's a very active owner, was ready to part ways because in Joe's Joe would, has already told the media he's he didn't see any dissension coming, finger pointing, blaming nothing. He thought they were on a steady track 
you know, Joe is doing Joe's stuff. When you have that lineup and you're going to the front office, you're saying, listen, guys, the last thing we need is more are more bats. And, okay, here you go. Here's Noah Syndergaard and here's, uh, here's Michael Lorenzen. Both talented, like, fine, talented enough guys. But they're not looking for fucking number fours that can slide in and be, you know, you need guys that can go out and pitch and compete, like actually compete, not nice stories when it's fucking July. Like, oh, man, how about Noah Syndergaard's comeback? He's really pitched well because his ERA is under four and he's got a 500 record and he's scattering some fucking quality starts here and there. No, dude, you need somebody who can pitch behind Otani and give you some thump. And, like, you have 22-year-old and Reed Detmers. you got a 25-year-old in Sandoval who's going to be good, who is pretty good, but – Big thing with losing streaks is starting pitching. You know, if you have good starting pitching, you can't lose fucking thirteen in a row. If you it, you just can't because you're gonna run into qual you're gonna run into somebody who's just quality. And if it, if you beat them and you have another guy who's quality behind, it just you start stacking these up. Losing thirteen in a row in the big leagues when you have that lineup, it, it's almost if you really do want to get mad about it, I'll I'd fire Joe Man right there on the spot. Just thinking about it gets me mad. I'll fuck's a Mike Trout lineup. Losing thir- Mike Trout's one of the greatest athletes of. Oh, in the history of professional sports. How the fuck is he on a team that's losing 13 in a row? Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. And as we brought up, I mean, obviously it's a little disappointing for him. I say little, very disappointing. And the Angels, they got a place to go. And I say this on behalf of baseball fans everywhere. Mike Trout needs to be in October. And Shohei Otani needs to have a career that exists outside of 162. And that's just a fact. Like, that, the game needs Mike Trout playing on a big fucking stage. Period. Yeah, and it, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. They were They were doing so well in the division. I think at one point they had at least a game or two lead. We've talked about it many times that, the division has to go through Houston. I mean, that's been the juggernaut, um, you know, for quite a while. So to have this happen in this fashion to Anaheim, it just it stings to the fan base, to the organization. Something had to change. But again, I'm I've always I've always been in the camp that it's not the fucking manager most of the time. It's the guys on the field. Period. So. You know, maybe they need to have a, a team meeting and, and kind of try and figure some things out. But bottom line, those guys just aren't aren't playing well enough. Yeah, you know, we had a saying in college, uh, fuck that team meeting bullshit. You know, because it'd be like, let's get together and have a meeting, and you feel good in that meeting, the meeting's over, and then it's like, we have to go to practice tomorrow. And you get out there, and you're still playing sloppy, and you're slow, and you're lazy. And it's a tough game, man. I mean, it's, I, the difference between running a baseball team and running a basketball team or a football team is just astronomically different because you're not drawing up X's and O's. Your your decisions are so nuanced and minuscule, and it's very much just about whether or not you're getting what you want from your team. It's so hard. It's so hard to figure it out, and that's why the good ones stand out. Like, there's a reason Tito is a fucking legend in the game. It's because he's a world-class manager that has consistently gotten – more out of players that haven't deli- under other managers. And you could go back to Earl Weaver's another great example of a guy who's like, listen, there's no doubt Earl Weaver's a great manager, and there's no doubt Joe Madden is a great manager. But at the end of the day, your point, the players have to play. And if you're going to give him fucking Noah Syndergaard and you're going to give him Michael Lorenzen to offset that lineup in that division, then you can't get mad at the guy at the pitching staff fucking blows. 
Yeah, well, it's it's a tough one. I, I kind of like team meetings, especially if certain things need to be addressed amongst the team. Certain things can linger for a long period of time without, you know, being brought out amongst the group. And sometimes, you know, you kind of need to air things out. I've been on a lot of teams that have had to do that. You have to address some things that are that are uncomfortable. Uh, but if everybody's going about their business and their routines and working hard and things just aren't, aren't going well, then sometimes you still have to say some shit. You know, you just have to perform better in, in, in certain situations. And, and I'm sure the angels can, can openly attest to that, uh, uh, you know, throughout these 13 games, I, I guarantee you, there have been many times where guys didn't execute guys didn't uh, put it, put good enough at bats together. Uh, the bullpen just didn't do their job. I mean, all, all up and down, you know, that roster, I'm sure that those guys can say that we could have done a better job uh, in, in a lot of these situations. Yeah, and now the Angels have to move on from it, and Joe was a big hire for him, and that was kind of a, this is going to be the next step to take us there, and now they're back to square one while the Astros just continue to pump it out. And, you know, we're going to get to the Rangers in a second here, but it's, it's again, it goes back to Mike Trout has to play in October, and the the biggest name in our generation is little kids coming up in October was Derek Cheater. And all the stuff that made Derek Jeter that legend and, and bigger than the game itself, I'm like, dude, you got to watch this guy in October. He just delivers. Like, it doesn't matter what the situation is. The flip play, the fucking walk-off homers. Like, even in the World Series, they lost to the Diamondbacks. Derek Jeter was just a man. It was like a god out there. And so it just sucks because Mike Trout has the opportunity to transcend this game other than just guys like us, guys like me, I should say, sitting around 40 fucking years from now being like, dude, you wouldn't believe how good this guy was. But at the end, this is a game where if you don't have like October, even experience, it's, it does, it separates. Like Clayton Kershaw was a guy where they were like, well, he never wins in October. Clayton Kershaw is objectively one of the best baseball players of all time. And they're like, well, he doesn't win in October. It's like, fuck this. It's just the way the game is, though. Well, he ended up kind of putting that to rest, fortunately, because yeah. if any of that was associated with his name, um, say he hadn't, you know, pitched well in October at all or won a World Series, then that's all people that weren't Dodgers fans would talk about. You know, I could see Stephen A. Smith now just fucking harping on Kershaw for never winning, winning a ring or just couldn't get it done in October. And baseball is one of those games where, like, he could go out there and dominate or throw a no-hitter in the postseason in – still not win a ring it's just it's not like basketball you give the best players the ball and they can potentially win your team the game I know it changes a little bit as you get into the playoffs and into the finals but again typically in in basketball and in football the best players can carry you to wins yeah so as we talk about team meetings too and like carrying yourself to wins I'm just going to put a pin in this one the Marlins had a big team meeting 90 minute one so we said last episode like oh you think Joe Madden's on the hot seat I don't even want to float this out with Mattingly because I'm at a rate this guy's gonna get pegged before he ever fucking finish the show here but the Marlins are a team we want to see him play better they should play better their run differentials positive and they're eight games under 500 or something preposterous like that and I don't want to hear about the schedule they got so many good players they do and you look at the lineup you look at the you know the rotation and some of the guys that they've had in the bullpen over the past several years I mean and not to mention the team that they had when they had Yelich and they had Stanton and they had Ozuna. Like they they could have ran into a World Series if they would have just signed a couple starting pitchers. And I know the reason they didn't do that is because they had all these guys 
with potential that were coming up so quickly, but then what are they doing now? I mean, Alcantara is pitching really well and, you know, you have some bright spots in there, but you know, then you look up and it's like, Oh, another fourth place finish in the division or another fifth place finish in the division. Like, I don't know, something needs to change. And I, I don't necessarily know why the fuck you would need to have a 90-minute team meeting. Uh, maybe they need to, like I said, maybe they need to hash a lot of shit out and get things out in the open. But something's got to change because, uh, you know, every division is tough. There's teams in every division you have to you have to compete with for the division or a chance to, you know, play in the postseason. And, you know... The Marlins are not not in good shape. I mean, they obviously can't compete with the Mets. They can barely compete with the Mar, you know, the uh, the Braves and, and the Phillies. So uh, something has to be done. It just does. Yeah, I think they actually they they went out that they win. They won by ten runs last night because they had the meeting and they went out and they just absolutely fucking smashed the Nats. Yeah, have another meeting then. Fuck, have another ninety minute. Go to yeah, go to lunch. Have a long lunch. <laughs> Figured out. It's funny how that works, right? You have this long team meeting and and you end up winning by ten. Like, did it correlate or did the guys just you know what I'm saying? Like, does it help you hit that down and away heater or that slider off the plate a little bit better because we had a ninety minute meeting? Probably not. Maybe the players needed to look in the mirror, have a, a, a team meeting a long time ago and say, Hey boys, we're we're fucking better than we're playing. Like we've gotta tighten some shit up. And the bullpen struggles for the Phillies were what they were for a long time. Uh, that obviously has to get a lot better because there's nothing more demoralizing in baseball than when you have a lead in the seventh and eighth inning and you continue to lose those games. I mean, it just absolutely crushes you. Yeah, well, I think there is also a sense of, especially with baseball players, because it's such an individual thing, like am I doing my job, am I not doing my job, am I doing my job, am I not doing my job? They come in, they fire the manager when you guys are underperforming, you're like, well, that guy wasn't just doing his job. We were, you know, like we're fine. Like we're going to keep this going. In the in the meeting stuff too, it's like placebo. Like if you think it makes you better and your head is elsewhere, this isn't a game you want to be playing with baggage. So if you're walking no. around, you're like, oh, you know, I got a problem with this guy and that guy. And you come together as a team, it's like kumbaya. I do think yeah. maybe there is. My my point about like anti-team meeting stuff with baseball is like you go out and you lose, you know, you lose by 10 or something. There is no use in having the manager come in and be like, hey, you know, I've seen enough of this bullshit. You know, we got to do this and that. You got to catch. It's like, dude, we get it. Like we, we know we fucking like nobody knows they fucked up more than the guy making the air. There's a time and a place for a team meeting, and if it's if it's done appropriately, it, it can have a positive ha- effect on the on the guys in the clubhouse. But I've been a part of teams where there were meetings on a routine basis, and it's like, Uncle, okay, like we fucking get it, like you said, we 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 understand. But if if the manager or if certain players have enough feel to know when the right time and place is to do that. Then it, then it can lead to positive change. But, you know, I, I don't think that just because you have a team meeting, it's going to correlate into a win by 10, like like happened um, in that situation. But you, you fucking never know. It's just, you know, you have to show up planning to prepare yourself to help your team win the ball game, even if it's, you know, coming in and throwing an inning or getting a pinch at a bat or, uh, talking to one of the guys on the bench to help him prepare for the guy that's coming in, whatever the case is, um, you have to, you have to bring something to the table 
Uh, and if and if everyone can say that they're doing that, then if you lose, you just you know you probably got beat by the other team because sometimes that does happen. Just typically, it doesn't happen thirteen times in a row. Yep. Well said. And this is team meeting season for MLB. I think you're going to see more. Not as you start getting into June and stuff, it's like, hey, we should. This is it. You got to fucking get it going, guys. You really do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know? this is. You're right about that. This is the time for team meetings, and um, you're kind of on the verge of teams having to make a decision: are we are we selling selling off players, or are we going to try and get in gear and figure something out and and attempt to make the postseason? Because this is uh this is about that time. So with that being said, I think it's we have some consolidated power rankings I want to run through quickly just because I think, you know, this is just one list we put together just because I, I, it's appropriate that we stay on top of this stuff. Um, and I think I think we'll work backwards from from five. I've got the Padres. I know they're in a dogfight with the Dodgers, but I got the Padres five. Then I have the Dodgers four. I've got the Astros three. The Astros are just, oh, man. Justin Verlander has one bad start. He comes out, two amazing starts. A Jordan Alvarez we gave due to the week two for obvious reasons. The Astros are unbelievable. Two, I've got the Mets, Colin. I'm sure you like that. And the Yankees are first, 40 and 15. We talk about them a lot. The Yankees are a wagon. Yeah. First team to 40 wins. It's hard to not have them uh, in the one spot. And look what Matt Carpenter's done since he's come over, you know, to – to the pinstripes, pretty amazing. Happy for him, and he looks pretty damn good in a mustache, doesn't he? I know you can appreciate that. Now, what's up with that? I do appreciate that. What's yeah. up with that? Do you think? Well, he's a, he he's, like he's a facial hair guy. He's a facial hair guy. He likes to have facial yeah. hair. And the only thing you can rock over there is the stash, and he's got a nice thick one. And he looks. You know what? He'd be. He'd probably be on the all uniform team, especially day games. He's got the. He's got the shades rocking. No BGs. Like, he just – he just he looks like a baseball player, doesn't he? Dude, Matt Carpenter came up as a backup first baseman at Albert Pujols, which is just one of the funniest things to me that he, like, was breaking in playing the corner – or not not behind Pujols. It was after Pujols. I think he, I think he had gone to the Angels already, and they were trying to find out the first base option. And Carpenter, like, I remember when he came up, he was just – Instantly awesome. Just instantly yeah, he was awesome. right he away. To find a place for this guy every yeah. day. Yeah, he bounced around from third. He played some second, played a little first base. I mean, he's, he's, he's a good utility guy, but then, you know, he ended up having such a good bat that they had to have, have him in the lineup every day. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Matt Carpenter. Okay, there's a couple. This, this is a new segment. I'm just I'm ponying out there because I just want to talk about a couple players and kind of what they've been up to. Um, but we're not giving out awards necessarily. It's just kind of a heat check thing. We talked about the Yankees. Aaron Judge with 22 homers. This guy is unbelievable, and he plays great defense too. People, he is like mm-hmm. a complete player. He's not just a donkey out there hitting bombs. He is. I mean, do you think the Yankees are going to lock him up or, or attempt to? I mean, you're going to have to give him. Well, you're going to have to give him 350 million plus. Oh, he would. Really? He would. He would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine would if he goes to the Mets? 
would he stay? Would he be the type of guy who'd be like, "Hey, I'm going to stay in New York and find a little motivation if he doesn't get the deal from the Mets"? You think, or if he doesn't get the deal from the Yankees? Or well, I mean, he's 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 obviously comfortable there, so not having to leave the city that you played in for a long time, why not? Why not just change uniforms? Man, he's hitting three fifteen too. I mean, this is it's not it's not like you just sacrifice everything to get the power numbers up there. I mean, he really is a threat. He hits it to all over the field. The reason I like him more than Stanton, obviously, is the defense and the versatility. But, I mean, some of these games, he played 148 games last year, but he's been banged up the three seasons before that. I, I, Colin, is he as fragile as, as people say in New York? You've got your ear close to the local stuff. Like, is he a fragile guy, generally speaking, or has he just had some bad luck? Uh, I don't know if he's fragile. I mean, he's just he's just a big dude out there, and I don't know. I don't like. I don't hate Aaron Judge. I don't. I don't like. I I respect his game, and I like the way he plays. That's why I love him to come over. You know, not only to piss off Yankee fans if he came to the Mets, but he's a good player. I mean, he plays in a sandbox, so it definitely helps his numbers a little bit. But you know, I I, I like Aaron Judge. Yeah, but let, let's let's be honest, man. Has has he hit a homer? That might have not gone out somewhere else, maybe. But majority of the homers he's hitting are going 50 feet over the wall. So sandbox or not, I mean. No, 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's, he's hitting them 400 Yeah, his splits feet. this year are identical. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah, his splits and, and, are identical. And, it's a great point. And with Stanton, you know, I, I think that Judge is, is a more polished hitter. But Jesus, man, having, having both of those guys in your lineup, tough to navigate tough to navigate and then you, you got Rizzo you got Gallo I mean the swing and miss is obviously off the charts but um if you you get him swinging the bat just a little bit better I mean how much better can the Yankees get looking at their lineup honestly there's like the only room you have is like yeah, if Joey Gallo plays where he's been like even below average relative to his career um you know Aaron Hicks hasn't been too hasn't been too great and Shorts up. It's been a problem for the Yankees for a long time. I mean, honestly, since they just like I, they can't figure it out. They can't figure it out ever since the curse of not letting a Rod play short. That's a f- another thing to talk about down the road. But um, I do want to go. Aaron Judge pinned sixty home runs, and who knows if he gets hot like you said, playing in a bandbox. Like he goes through a two week stretch where it's like, dude, you just hit you just hit twelve jacks. Like you're up to thirty five now. Um, I mean, we really could be like in in home run watch come September. It could happen. It could definitely happen. So, another watch, Joey Votto. Since coming back, Joey Votto had like the worst stretch of his career. Joey Votto so consistent, all that stuff. He goes on the IL. He comes back since May twentieth. Joey Votto has been on fire, and the Reds continue to be an undervalued team as they hang on to the stigma from April of being three and whatever it was sixteen. They're actually yeah. not. They're starting to kind of look okay. Hunter Green had another good start. Well, Joey's he's he's kind of like, like a he, he's like Rain Man in a sense, man. He's got like these these equations and all this shit going through his head that other people can't quite understand. He's just he's just a different guy, and he understands hitting uh, on a level that that most most guys don't. So it's it's not unlike him to to go out, to go on a tear and put together a stretch that's kind of off the charts, like 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 he has. Um, and he's not he's not going to struggle for too long. I mean, he's just he's just so good at putting the barrel to the ball. And then let's I mean, let's be honest too. And he's 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 near he's nearing the end of his career. I don't know if this is going to be his last year, but I hope I, 
I just hope he keeps putting up great numbers uh, until the end of the season because we all know they're not making the playoffs. No. No, the Reds aren't making the playoffs, but you'd like to see Joey. You just want to see him play well throughout the end of his career. Like, this is not a guy – I don't want to see Joey Votto turn into one of these guys who hits 230 and you got to drag him out there and it's just so they could sell tickets and all this stuff. Like, to me, Joey Votto is a great hitter. I want to see him continue as a great hitter. And when he's not a great hitter, I think that's when it's time I just, like – as much respect as I can have for another guy that I've watched play against my team for a, a very long time, he's he's in that tier one category right there with Yachty, even though I hate his guts, right there with Albert, even though I hate his guts. Hate their guts, but they're tier one competitors, and you just have a tremendous amount of respect watching them play. Uh, and the same thing applies to Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, we talked, we we pumped his shit. He went out and had a horrible start against the Mariners. And that was like he pitched so bad against the Mariners. It was like maybe we were – maybe Justin Verlander is going to come back to earth. He's responded in kind. Seven innings, I think six hits, like fucking 20-something strikeouts. He's been dominant since that start. And uh, like I said, the Astros are cooking with gas, man. Verlander just <laughs> – Yeah, and just past uh, John Smoltz. Uh, for on, on the strikeout list, just I mean, he just continues to um, just to be to be a timeless timeless arm. Um, and every time I watch a pitch, I mean, he's thirty nine years old or something like that, and I know how difficult it is to to go out there later, you know, into your years and still feel capable enough to do to, to do anywhere close to the third of years and, and keeps climbing the charts because he's he's one of the best uh, you know of our lifetime for sure. Absolutely. And and on that note, uh, one of the best right now that I've watched do in a while, Josh Hader, just blew his first save in almost a year. I'm going to rattle off what he did since he blew his last save. Uh, I shouldn't say since his last save. This is the first time he's given up runs in 40 appearances. That goes back to last July. In those 40 games that he pitched, the Brewers were 36-4 and four in games he made an appearance. He pitched 38 innings with 65 strikeouts, only allowing 27 runners on base, good for a 197 OBP, and probably most impressive, 20% of the pitches he threw. He's thrown 600 pitches. 20% of them have been swings and misses. He's so hard to square up. He's deceptive. I mean, he throws mid to upper 90s consistently. I mean, he's just he's just rock solid. He's just one of those guys that that every bullpen dreams to have, and he he throws with his left hand, with which makes it, you know, even more attractive. Uh, his setup, I mean, that ball that's coming into right-handed hitters and away from lefties, it just seems like it's unhittable. Um, and he continues to be rock solid. So um, happy for him. I I always love watching guys that pitch at that kind of level for such an extended period of time and just, you know, I hope for health for him for uh, the foreseeable future. So he can continue to put up the numbers he's putting up. Yeah. It's surprising when you're that good and dominant as a, as a reliever and stuff, you know, I just, I just still always had that question in the back of my head. Like what if Josh Hader just showed up next year and was like, Hey, I can give you four innings to start a game. I can do it. You know, like, has it become more valuable or is it like we just like having the most dominant relief pitcher at the back of the bullpen? Which one's more valuable? I don't know if the Brewers would ever, you know, maybe want to use him as an opener like, you know, Tampa's done and some other teams have kind of messed with. But it's it's such a, a dangerous thing to do to take a guy like that out of his routine who's so used to coming in, you know, at, at, at 930, 10 o'clock to get the last three outs. And he's so good at preparing himself. 
I mean, not, not that he's incapable of, of adjusting his routine and, and doing, doing it differently. I mean, I, I'd be scared to, to throw him out there for, for multiple innings, though, on a consistent basis. And like you said, as a reliever, you're in the game so often, right? Like you, you pitch, you have a day off, you pitch, or he throws back-to-back-to-back days to get saves. And to be that good that uh, frequently – it's it's even more impressive because you know he he could potentially be up, you know, four out of five days, and to be so good, um, so so many times in a row, it's just you know I I don't I don't even know what to say about it. It's just phenomenal. And not to trigger anybody on the show who may or may not have you know hard feelings about a certain organization, but it it should not surprise you. He was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in 2012 and traded in 2014. Yeah, it seems like the a same. theme with, with the Orioles. A lot of good pitchers we talk about on this show. Uh, okay, last – I'm sorry. I'm bringing it up. I, I'm obligated professionally to just make that note that he, too, was a Baltimore Oriole who now is considered one of the best at what he does as a pitcher, and he doesn't do it for the Orioles. So if I work for the Orioles, I, I don't know, man. I'm working I'm, – I'm probably trying to figure this one out this summer. Okay, last one I want to talk about is Joey Bart. Joey Bart is a very interesting player to me. He's, he's a former college catcher. We're going to have Steven Shock on a little bit to talk about some college baseball stuff, getting ready to the Super Regionals. Joey Bart was the second overall pick not too long ago by the Giants. He's a top catching prospect. He's considered can't miss. Buster Posey retired, and a lot of people around San Francisco were okay with it because Joey Bart was going to get some playing time. Joey Bart was your catcher to start the season. They since moved him down to AAA for a fresh reset. Uh, this is a tough one for Joey Bart, for Giants fans, because you've been hanging on to this guy. This is a guy when the Giants were making uh, strides last year and trying to find pieces at the trade deadline. They said, absolutely, Joey Bart is untouchable. And so that was like a big thing with the Giants about you can't touch this kid. He's got his chance to start. He's 25. He's 25. This isn't when Rizzo get called up at 21. This isn't like Trout getting called up in 2000, in 2011 either like when you get called up in, in June, July, and they want to see what you have. They started opening day with Joey Bart as a catcher. He goes down to AAA. They said it's a reset, though, and I just, you know, like we've talked about this before. There's the good stuff with the heat check. Joey Bart's a guy people are very excited to see this year. It's tough, man. We cheer for these guys. This hurts me to bring this news up. It really does because you have that much promise, and it's just like you can't, you know, it just sucks. It sucks. I mean, it happens a lot. It's not, um, it's not infrequent. You see, you see things like this happen all the time, um, but yeah, just he's not performing the way that they they expected him to. And look, he's not he, he's not an ultra young guy either. He's kind of in that middle territory of, you know, needing him to take steps forward, especially for that organization. So, you know, hopefully he can go down and put some of this behind him and and not put too much pressure on himself because when you're at the big league level and you're trying to stick around, I mean, that's the only thing on your mind is staying in that big league uniform. And now he gets to, you know, decompress a little bit. He's still, he's still got to play. He's still got to, you know, take it very seriously. Uh, but he's not under the microscope near as closely uh, as he was. So uh, hopefully he can turn things around. Yeah. Again, we're cheering for Joey Bart. We want to see, we need like the more good, especially a catcher. I can't miss top, catching prospect from Georgia Tech like that's 
that, that's I don't why why do I get so excited about that more than an outfielder or a pitcher or something? It's it's like the idea that like okay, there's gonna be a new leader in town. Like there's just something about a good quality catcher. Like when Buster Posey cracked in the big leagues, dude, he didn't go anywhere for 14 years. He just stayed there, hit, won a batting title, was a stud. Um, and it just it, it hits different when there's ca- like a good org catcher that you can support and all this stuff. So hopefully Joey Bart, uh, hopefully Joey Bart turns it around. We'll say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hope he does, man. And you know, sometimes you can deal with the lack of average with, with the defensive skills that he has. So that's why I was a little surprised to see that, but you know, maybe, maybe they also want him to, to enhance his defensive ability also. Yep. Yep. So keep eye out NL West. It's a moving. That's a that's a brutal division. I'm very happy. I'm not a fan of the NL West or any teams in there because I would not keep my sanity. Um, all right, so we have Stephen Shock's going to join us in a second. Uh, he's a college baseball guy. Played for Virginia last year. He's an All American. He's got a crazy, crazy path in college baseball. He started off at Appalachian State, then transferred to University of Maryland, Baltimore County for a couple of years. Got got into the Cape League, which is the top college league. Got saw by a guy said, "Hey, why don't you come out to Virginia?" Goes to Virginia, sits out a year, then there's a COVID year, and then finally he gets to play. I think he was like 29 years old last year, his senior year for Virginia. Uh, he took him to Omaha. He has since uh, – he's like a college baseball guy. He's he's does internet content around college baseball. He's also starting like a real estate career. He's an interesting guy. Not everybody turns pro. Yeah, and, you know, he's got he's got a, a true passion and a love for, for college baseball. Uh, and he's trying to do good things for for kids who might not get the recognition or, um, you know, the recruiting that they they might deserve. So he's trying to help guys get into schools and and be a part of that transfer portal, uh, and can help continue guys' careers. So it's it's pretty awesome that he's doing that. Yeah, and as we embrace the game, we grow the game. This isn't like I've said before. It's not just Major League Baseball. We love the game of baseball. College World Series is coming up this weekend. We've got super regional action. We're going to get into a little bit of that around this interview. We're also just talk a little bit about the game, our love for the game. And uh, and so let's get to the interview. This is this is former Virginia Cavalier, you, <laughs> you, Baltimore County, and Appalachian great Stephen Chuck. Let's get to the interview. We talked in our last episode kind of about like culture around college baseball. And then coming into this week, I thought with the super regionals coming up, you know, this is kind of, we're not dog days for MLB by any means, but um, I just thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about the, another side of, of baseball. And that's obviously the college game. And the way I would describe it to a novice is the weekend coming up is like the elite eight and you've got 16 teams left and they're going to play each other in eight different series and the winners advance to Omaha we're going to be out there. It's a special weekend, all this stuff. But you and I actually met last year in Omaha. And after your career ended, you've kind of dug your heels into being this college baseball guy. And be quite frank, you've kind of exploded this year in your first year covering the season. So thank you for joining the show. Yeah, sorry about that. My camera just opened. You know, we're talking about the, the guy from Tennessee flicking off the, the center fielder ball gets over his head. Now where – I, if I if I did something like that playing for Jim Sloshnagle or anybody on our team did it, I don't know if we we make our next start, if we play for a while. Like, he, he chews our ass for a long, long time, and he was a scary guy to play for for a while. So, like, if, if you're a coach, like, where do you draw the line? Do you let the players kind of do their own thing and, and handle that afterwards? Is that something they understand going into the game? Okay, like, I don't care if you do this, this, or this, but – Maybe this is this is too far, you know. And do you really want to 
add fuel to the fire. And look, Tennessee's number one. Doesn't matter how much shit they talk, they're probably still going to win. Well, you know what I'm saying? There's like a, I'm on yeah. both sides of the fence there. Like I don't, I don't love like my my ten year old son to see it, but I also don't want to teach him to be a pussy and get like, you know, <laughs> and be scared of a something like that because you know we're men, like we do stupid shit, and especially in college, like when every game could be your last. So you know what I mean? Like, and how do you feel about that? How would your coach have handled that uh, when you were in Virginia? Oh yeah, I have no doubt Coach O'Connor would have. Uh put me back in my place right away. But uh, where I stand on it is I feel like as long as you're balling out, who really cares? Like if you're putting up numbers and doing great and you aren't starting to brawl or, you know, getting in fist fights every game, I'm all for it. Like obviously you don't want to show up the other team is what everyone will say. But also as long as you're running up the scoreboard, no one's really going to care if you show up the team because end of the day, that's just another win in the wing. And it is, this is sports, and, you know, like you can, yeah. if you want to cry about it, that's fine. But sports are unforgiving. And sometimes, uh, sometimes people talk a bunch of shit and you got to handle it. And if you get your ass kicked at the same time, it's, it's a difficult situation. Yeah. I think there's a big difference though, between you don't want to have a reputation, especially if some of these guys are trying to go on a pro ball and stuff and build a name for themselves. I think there's a clear line where you look at some of these guys. We, we talked, Tim Elko was, was an old miss guy that came up pre-show mm-hmm. with the ACL injury. And he's like a big name. Like, I don't, is he a draft prospect, Steven quickly? Is he yes or no, like a big, big name or anything? Uh, I think okay. he will be. So take him. There's probably somebody on that old miss team. Then will profile as like the fifth year senior. You know, he's not going to get a look if he does, it's a late sign and all the stuff like that guy can talk all the shit he wants. Cause at the end of the day, like yeah. he does represent that, that program. But I think there are some other players where it's like, you know, you definitely don't want a reputation. I would imagine I didn't get fucking drafted. Steven certainly didn't either, but you don't want that reputation. Right. Jake, or is that something? You no. Don't yeah. About? No, you definitely do. And look, if, Character is a big thing that play, that teams are looking at, especially if they're thinking about spending three, four plus million dollars on you as a first rounder, or even even half a million in the in the second or third round. And if they potentially see you as being a piece on in the organization for for a long time to come, like character is a big part of that. And not to say that like you you can't do stupid shit like flipping the dude off and still have high character. It's just maybe you need to understand at the next level, like certain things are, are not going to fly. Like if, if you do that in the big leagues, like you are going to probably get stood up in the locker room by one of your teammates, or you're going to get drilled for the next six at bats in that series. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it won't happen in the minor leagues. It might happen in the minor leagues, but if that, that dude gets to the big leagues, you know, his teammates will police that and won't let it happen. And and again, like I'm and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be like the the no fun police, but you you know at the next level it just it can't really happen that way. Or, or I mean, you might get in a fist fight with with the dude uh, on the field, which if he's fine with that, cool. But at some point, like somebody's gonna hit him in the mouth and kind of put him in his place, and that will probably stop. I'm not saying don't have flair and flash and fly around the field and have a good time, but. Flipping the bird might not be the best move. Yeah, I would I would say flipping the bird is a little bit over the line, but I'm still for it. Like, I'm not going to go back on that. Yeah, like, yeah. And I think just based on the whole season he had, 
I think he's had such a great season and the, and the culture at Tennessee, like the way Tony Vitello has it set up is, you know, it's everybody else versus Tennessee. It's, it's us versus the world essentially. And I think that contributes to things like this happening, which, you know, it seems like a pretty fun culture to be a part of. I see a lot of people on their team are enjoying it. Oh, so yeah. Maybe it works. Is yeah. he the guy who no, did no, he take over ass. for Serrano? Did he take over for Serrano from Tennessee? Because I know Serrano was a big name that came over from Cal State Fullerton, and he had that kind of culture coming into Tennessee. And they thought that there's a huge hire for Tennessee to kind of get the baseball program back, and it just kind of stalled. And he was a legend out west with, with Fullerton. And, um, and then I think that, so I'm, I know that the Tennessee program, you know, they went back to Omaha last year. I shouldn't, yeah, last year. And now they're clearly the number one seed, right? Like they're a runaway number one seed yeah, in the state. Yeah. Well, it's by leaps and bounds. And you know that what, what you get when you're a number one national seed is you get, you get kind of a cookie like regional and then they're playing, they're matched up with Notre Dame. I mean, they're going to beat the shit out of Notre Dame. Um, but Arkansas like said, said the same thing about NC State last year. Uh, did they? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be honest. Notre Dame's pitching staff is pretty deep. Well, well, and and it's all about pitching because look, my one of my best friends, Stephen Trout, head guy at Texas State, fucking heartbreaking defeat against Stanford. Did oh you watch God. that shit? Yeah, I mean they hit they hit a two run homer. Or they, they took the lead in the bottom, I'm sorry, in the top of the ninth and then gave up back-to-back homers to start off the inning, then a double, intentional walk, and a base hit. I mean, in, they had their closer throw seven innings, which was absolutely unbelievable to watch. Then they brought in one of their starters, I guess, a big, tall dude, I forget his name, and then brought in Levi Wells to close it. And it's just like, you know, and me, Carl and I talked about this. There's a lot of good pitching in college baseball, but were you, Stephen, were you surprised with how many high-scoring games there were in these regionals? I mean, it was like 30 to 19 and yeah. 17, 16. Like, it was, a, it was a crazy regional this year. It was uh, very offensive. And, you know, some people are saying, oh, the balls are juiced. And I honestly think they might be because we're seeing more home runs than ever. But also at the same time, everybody's older. Like, with COVID happening, fifth-year guys sticking around, like the amount of 23- and 24-year-olds is much higher than it was last year. And I just think that experience plus, you know, potentially a change in the balls might might be doing something. <laughs> might, be, might be – like I think the Oklahoma State's regional, by day two there had been 39 home runs. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a yeah. 100 runs scored. Like up until like yeah. the last day or something like that, just, just incredible. And that's a it's a it's a tug of war in baseball, and I'm sure in college baseball too. You want you want a lot of offense, but you want shorter games. I and you mentioned the juice balls. I'm I'm all for it. I don't give a shit as long as they just tell you, like give you a heads up. Like what I don't like yeah. is like Major League Baseball would just alter the ball without saying anything. And then they change it again, and then the ball's flying further, and then we get a dead ball. Just figure out what you want. You know what I mean? Just juice balls are cool. I, I think they killed the bats. They, like, nerfed the bats in in college baseball, right? Like, did you 
did you notice changes while you were there? And like, what were your guys saying to you like about the bats or were they always kind of uniform during your time there? So it was always BB core when I was there, but in high school, like I remember the change, like I went from dropping to absolute tanks to grounding out to the shortstop, which is solely because of the BB core over Beezer bats. It's not because people started throwing curveballs and I'm just not that good at hitting. So just that change was very interesting, but I certainly wouldn't want to pitch in the era of baseballs they have right now. Yeah, I remember when they changed over the the BB core bats. That was right after I graduated, and that was the peak in, in college baseball. I think the average runs per game uh, was double digits. Like the average college game was like – the average pitching staff was giving up like six runs per game or something. It was, it was – a and I'm, and that's not ERA either. I think the average ERA over that time was like five point something, but then you mix in college defense. So tell, tell me more. Okay. So let's talk this weekend for super regionals and stuff. We talked a little bit, Tennessee, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, obviously deep pitching. I'm looking at their numbers. Now they have, they have a couple of horses. Let's just say like off the top though, away from Tennessee, if there's one regional, Steven, if you were like locked in a room, you had one TV, what's one super regional you're very interested in? Uh, Texas and ECU because they're playing at ECU. And I think that environment's just crazy. Like I heard stories about the stuff that was getting yelled at players this weekend. And I can't imagine in supers, obviously supers are more important because they throw super in front of regional. So the, the, the nerves are going to be higher. Emotions are going to be running thinner and everything matters a little bit more. And so I think, you know, it's going to be a good game because, or a good series because Texas has a great lineup. They have Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic, which literally everyone knows since he got out of JUCO. And ECU's got a ton of players that I personally really love to watch. Like Bryson Worrell is this guy who is one of those older guys who just balls out. Like this weekend he had three diving catches in one game and, he was the guy who hit a home run left-handed and right-handed as well. So anytime things like that are happening, I'm excited. I'm hoping to see him maybe try to hit one middle-handed because it's super regional. He's got to do a little bit more. Maybe maybe something like that could happen. I don't know. I don't know how he'd do it, but if someone does know how. Now, I blew a game at, in Greenville in 2010, a non-con game. Early in the season, we went out, we played him. And it was one of those, like, four teams go out to one location. You all kind of play around Robin or whatever. And I came out of that pen that night, and I remember I was warming up next to our closer. I thought the closer was going to go in because it was, like, the seventh or eighth inning. And it was just tight. Like, that that was the moment. And our coach wasn't really dialed into, you know, role clarity as much as it was, like, this is a big moment we should get in. this. So I come in anyways. I fucking blow it. Oppo, double, walk a guy. I spun a double play ball when I came in. We didn't, t- we didn't fucking turn. I don't think we got one out from it. Um but I can tell you, yes, that environment, Greenville, as a guy who's blown a game there when it didn't matter and the place was rocking and the students are loaded. And that's another cool aspect about college baseball. You know, a lot of these places, the students are, this is about as rowdy as you can get. Because, like, college basketball, dude, they'll kick you out if you're saying fucked up stuff. They'll, they'll, you can't, there's a limit to, like, how weird and messed up. In football, you're so far away. Like, there's, like, yeah, sure, Penn State, you can pack. 10,000 kids in there and they can jump up and down and impact the game college baseball. You could put two dozen frat boys in like right field that can absolutely change the dynamic of a game and then, and like an sec. So speaking of sec, I'm curious, like 
give any read on Auburn. Auburn's going out to Oregon State. Oregon State's a historic college baseball program that people might might not be aware of. Great, great baseball since uh, I believe it was Mike Casey or yeah, or Pat Casey, and he retired. Uh, Coach Casey retired. They're still doing well out there in Corvallis. That's a three versus 14. Oregon State's a three. Auburn's got to make that big trip. Yeah, so one of my favorite players on Auburn is this guy, Sonny Dechara. I don't know if you know what he looks like or if you've ever heard How do you spell? I'm looking him up now. But Sonny yeah, who? Check him out. Just type in Sonny D Auburn yes. and you'll see him. Look at him and tell me you don't already love him. Like, oh, he can't, he, <laughs> oh the big fella. He is savage. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, it's funny because he's a shit, big guy. Look at this guy. Oh, and also he's like leading the SEC and hitting. I didn't think these guys still existed. Like, in college baseball. Well, at least at I this level. I think every team needs This is awesome. Like, and does he rake? He is incredible. He absolutely rakes. He's one of the best hitters in not just the SEC, but college baseball. Like, for the first half of the season, he led the nation in batting average. And, like, when he gets a hold of one, it is one of the most incredible things Sunny I've D. ever seen. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to look like that, you got to rake. You got to Yeah, because the ball flies – and then he just looks outstandingly happy. Like, no one could be happier that he hit a home run. Oh, wow. I like this guy. Okay, let's see. He's hitting 300 on the year. Or he's hitting 397 with 20 jacks. That 20 jacks is just, is just a monster number, man. 397? Yeah, he might rake. He might. Yeah, 397 with 20. That's that's really fucking good. What about Oregon State? What do we got out there, Steven? Oregon State has this one pitcher, Cooper Cooper Jerpy, he, I, I don't know the nationality of the name or where it came from. The origin, I guess, is the correct word. But the dude absolutely shoves. I think he's going to be a first-rounder this year. And he's fun to watch pitch. So I'd recommend watching. Lefty, 6'3". We like the name Cooper on this podcast a lot. I want to say he's sweet. Dude, hey, wh- when is the – Steven, uh, why haven't we even mentioned this? When's the draft? The draft is going soon, or, right? Right after Omaha, I believe. Yeah, because typically it was wasn't it like the first or second week of June? It usually is. Like it, I remember my junior year when I really thought I was going to get popped. <laughs> Spoiler alert, man. So yeah. Um, was, so let me let, let me ask you about that. So what was your? I mean, you closed. You were a closer, so you had you had to have decent stuff. Like, did you think you were going to have an opportunity? Did, and, you know, did you consider maybe trying to play independent ball or doing something else to continue? Or were you like, fuck it, I'm done? Yeah, so my junior year, I really was like, that's when I was all in on the draft. Like, I had a summer with a zero ERA through like 30 innings. And I thought I was pretty good. And then when no teams even offered me a thousand bucks, I was like, okay, well, that was fun to think about for a little bit, but we aren't going to do that anymore. And then once college baseball ended, like I went into baseball with three main goals, which is a little weird. My first goal was to get an education. My brain couldn't get me, which a guy like me should, should not have been allowed in the confines of the university of Virginia campus, (laughs) build a following to where I can talk about baseball for a living, which, you know, we kind of did that. I mean, I, I sell real estate too, so a little bit of both. And three was just have a shit ton of fun while I do it. And I think I got all three of those goals, so I was like, okay, well, 
because I thought, you know, I'd have to go to the minors and do some weird shit to get the following, but I got very fortunate and I was like, okay, well we did, we did all three things. So let's just roll with it. We're good. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And the reality of the situation is that most guys that play college baseball never get to play at the next level. And I talk to teams a lot and I'll probably talk to the A&M guys before they're a super. Um, and I just tell them, look, this could be your last opportunity to put this uniform on. And unfortunately, someone takes it away from you. you that might be at, after high school, after college, a little bit of time in the minor leagues or a long major league career. You just never know. So while you're doing it, fucking enjoy this shit as much as you possibly can. And it seems like that's exactly what you did. Because if you don't, man, you're going to regret it. And if you're if you're down and, and bummed about not being able to play at the next level, it's going to detract from your ability to just go out there and have fun and enjoy the the guys you're playing with. I mean, I, w- with me, some of my best friends are guys I, I, I played at TCU with. I'll be friends with for my entire life. And I feel like that's a common theme with guys that play college ball. I mean, Carl's the same way. I mean, I assume that very similar in your situation. Yeah. And one thing that helped me, like, like I always believed, like, just I'm, I'm a firm believer. There's no point in doing anything in life if you aren't going to have fun. So you might as well have fun with everything you do. But honestly, the first meeting we had with Coach Oak as a team, Coach Oak at UVA was like, look, you guys aren't allowed to be in frats because what you got to realize is this is your frat. Like, these are the people you're going to be friends with. I didn't even have to pay dues or rush. So financially, great decision. But (laughs) just... Being with the teammates and having fun was really what it all meant for me. And even when we made our run in Omaha, it wasn't for me. I was never thinking, oh, this is all to win a national championship. For me, I might have been selfish thinking this way, but it was, you know, if we win today, I get to keep playing with my friends and I get to play baseball for one more day. So, you know, what what stakes could ever be higher? Yeah, that's right, man. And, you know, playing playing a sport if you're lucky enough to play it to, you know, your age or um, into your, you know, late teens and your twenties, it teaches you a lot about just building relationships and knowing how to, how to deal with people. And like in what you're doing now with real estate, I'm sure a lot of what you went through as an athlete um, and the places you played, you know, are going to make you much better at what you're going to do after baseball. And um, you know, kids that don't play baseball or don't play sports. It's like, man, you, you got to learn some tough lessons in, in another way, which can be done. But you know, you know, doing physical things, difficult things physically, you know, when you have to, you know, get up to just do something mundane, uh, it, it makes that so much easier. Like when you put your body through a lot of physical uh, stress, then it's like, man, if I can do that, I can handle, I can handle selling this house or I can handle, I can handle whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the things like, that's one, one of the reasons I want to give back to baseball so much is because like, it really gave me essentially everything in life. Like it guided me to meet my fiance. It gave me all of my friends. Like I was texting friends I played summer ball with in 2017 today. And I was like, you guys ever think about how like, none of us would have any clue who the hell each other were if it weren't for baseball. And like, that's why I'm so grateful and I have such gratitude for the game and why I try to 
you know, put energy back into the game and make it better for other people. I was going to ask about, I was going to ask about, well, we have some connections here. Jake brought up Texas A&M. You're going to go talk to the boys because your college coach is in the locker room and you're playing my old college coach, pal. My old college coach is with Louisville. He's their associate head coach. So we got to figure out some sort of wager here between the two former coaches. And then on the other end, Steven and I shared pitching coaches. We're like Eskimo brothers in some sense. My college pitching coach is Steven's coach. And uh, you kissed him too. Wait, what? Did you kiss him? Yeah, Drew. Yeah, no, I said, you said Eskimo brothers. I didn't realize you, <laughs> you kissed him too. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, me and Drew. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're tight. We're real tight. Drew down. That's a guy, man. Well, Hey, listen, Carl, I've got a coastal Carolina tattoo on my ass and it was a bet with Tommy LaStella. He went to coastal Carolina. Our teams played each other and we, we threw a bet on it. So I'm, I'm all for, if you want to, if you want to do one like that, you want to do that? We're going to save that for when the horn frogs and the Illini square off my man. Uh, I love tattoos. So I know you do. I'm sa- I'm saving one for our hundredth episode too. I'm saving the first one for that. What about uh? We'll think about it for fuck, man. Now I'm on the spot. After the interview, no, I'll have something we'll when think, we come we'll out of the interview. We'll we have time. We have show. We have a show to do. It's a, this is a weird thing for me because you know TCU and A and M got got put in the same regional, which was rough. Um, when they played, I kind of had to go for the frogs. But then now that now that A and M got out of that super. I'm hope I'm hoping they they can get past Louisville. I'm sorry to say that, but because we're going to be in Omaha together, my son's playing in a in, in a tournament, and uh, I mean we got to get on the field for BP. And if they're not there, I don't know who the hell is going to let us on the field. You know yeah, I mean? my college coach is not going to let us on. The, if we're looking for access, then we definitely got to be cheering for Texas A&M. My college coach is going to be like, yeah, we got time. Maybe I'll see you at the hotel. I'm like, I won't see him when we're down there. He's going to be all business. The last person who's going to want to see is me. When we used to when I played for him, I would catch him up right. That was kind of a big role for the bullpen was, you know, while the coaches are out there and they're hitting fungos, you'd go out there and you'd catch them up and you'd just talk to the coach about like, hey, what's going on? What do you think of Iowa today and all this stuff? And then when he would go break down or go throw to hitters or whatever, he'd hand you the fungo and then you'd go out and you fungo other outfielders and stuff. And so that was like a role that like the fifth year senior, senior pitcher kind of carried. And so I got that role my senior year. And he told me at the end of my senior year, he goes, I'll tell you, I know you want to catch me up and all this stuff. You talk so fucking much, man. You've talked more this season to me than every other senior that has caught me up. Like as long as I've been here, it has been all you do is fucking talk, man. I hope you find a career where you can just fucking talk, 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 which is kind of well, funny. You found it. You are. found it. Yeah. You're, wound, you're so, wound up like that. You got a lot of shit up here, man. You got to get it out. I know it is. You got to get it out. <laughs> it worked a little bit. We're doing okay. Stevens, where, where, so in Omaha, I've never been to Omaha. Where, where would you guys go? Did you have a lot of time, you know, away from the game to kind of explore a little bit, go to some dinners or like, what was it like off the field? Uh, we didn't really have a ton of time. Literally any steakhouse you go to is going to be phenomenal. You, you can believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy. You can get a good steak. Um, well, I would, I would hope one well, Nebraska, nonetheless, profound. But the, just any steakhouse in general, I highly recommend just going and getting one because I don't know what they do differently there, but it's way better. And I know, like one of my favorite things was going to the little baseball village they have there during the tournament, 
which it's obviously it's like a Christmas tree stand. It's very seasonal. You got to get there at the right time, but it's a lot of fun just walking around and seeing people and meeting people, but also like seeing what cool stuff people have for sale. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're renting a sprinter van. I'm taking my, my whole family up there. It's my son's last baseball tournament. And I told him we're going to drive. And my wife's like, why, why don't we just fly? I'm like, look, this is like little league baseball. You get into a van with some of your buddies and you drive 13 or 14 hours. You hook up the Xbox, the you stop at three or four fast food spots. You, you got to stop at Cracker Barrel. I feel like that's, that's a must, you know, on a road trip with kids, got to stop at Cracker Barrel. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to just roll. Um, she's not very happy with me, but I found a Sprinter van in San Antonio. That's like 150 a night. It might be shitty, oh, but we're going to, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun as hell. I, I'm literally jealous. I miss those days. Well, so you're, you're getting married when? Uh, when are we getting married? <laughs> Still not sure uh, on the date, but eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, good. And I mean, don't rush into kids, but man, you're going to, you'll be a hell of a coach one day. <laughs> I can't wait to have little dipshits with mullets just running around. They might be flipping kids off. I'll be honest. They might be that guy. You, hey, every team needs one of them, right? <laughs> a wise man once said that. Predictions uh, predictions for for any upsets this weekend going to Noma, anything we got to keep our eyes peeled for, we like a lot. Any upsets. I got a strong feeling about Southern Miss. I don't know if that's technically an upset or not because they're hosting, but I'm confident in them. Uh, Jake, you're most pleased, but I think Louisville's going to, Gonna play pretty good baseball this weekend. They got Levi Usher, who just he doesn't let balls hit the ground. Like he, he's a center fielder. I guess I should have prefaced it with that. But he's literally the fastest dude in college baseball right now because Enrique Bradfield his season has ended for Bandy. But and they also have this kid Dalton Rushing, who literally is a clone of Bowser from Super Mario Baseball, but from the left side. So. I, I'm feeling confident in them. I, I'm also – I think this this is another team where they're hosting, and I think they're going to win as ECU, but it's against Texas. So I don't know how upsets work. Yeah, I got some numbers, actually. I have, so while you're bringing this up, I was, I'm glad you bring this up. So Eastern Carol, East Carolina on the Barcelona Sportsbook is plus 125. Texas is minus 155. Uh, that would be like the Cubs are at home starting Kyle Hendricks against Corbin Burns. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so slight underdog with East Carolina, but you're at home and there's some compelling reasons. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know why, but I also got a weird feeling about UConn. I think UConn could pull it off against Stanford. I mean, I know they're traveling across the whole entire nation, but they're just a team that all season they've scraped together runs and they've pitched big when they need to pitch big. And they've been doing it all without their best player, who is a two-way guy who he is a first baseman. His name is Reggie Crawford. He just hits piss missiles, but he also throws 97 to 101 when he's healthy. He recently got Tommy John from the left side too, so it's like pretty cool. I watched him at Team USA. It was literally the most incredible thing I'd seen. 
This Ole Miss, Southern Miss, you brought it up. That should be an absolute crazy fight. Obviously, Ole Miss has bragging rights through a large part of that state. Uh, I know there's probably a lot of kids that are going to be suiting up for Southern Miss that grew up thinking they'd be wearing Ole Miss or wanting to be playing in the SEC. And even though Southern Miss is very good, they find themselves in a super regional. You better believe these kids are coming into this super regional with a chip on their shoulder, feeling like they're underdogs. Even as the 11 seed, even as they're 47 and 17, and Ole Miss is a team that turned it on towards the end of the season, got hot, I think, in the SEC tournament. And when they made it, they upset some people. They didn't think they were deserving. They absolutely roll through the regional. The offense is fucking lighting it up. So this Southern Miss, Ole Miss one, that could be one of those where, like, tempers flare and stuff really pops off. Yeah, and, you know, I think another important thing for Southern Miss is their worst weekend starting pitcher had uh... – Two nine six ERA, and that's the worst. And he had 128 Ks in 85 innings. So, if that's your Sunday guy, I'm pretty confident you might be a you might be a good wow. Team. Yeah, yeah. If, when you have arms like that, it's all about starting pitching, especially in, in these little three game series. Um, what's so cool to me about these these super regionals, and even in the regional, it's like guys know what's on the line and. You're getting the most energy they can possibly produce. Chances are you're getting the, their best performance because, I mean, you win or go home, maybe, maybe you don't get to play any more baseball. Uh, and it's a sad fucking time, too, like to watch to watch those kids play the last game, man. Like my boy Trouty in the, in the dugout at Stanford with talking to his boys like this. You know, you understand why they're all in tears. It's like, fuck, we, we were right there. We just let it slip away. So I, I, I can't wait to go down. I'm going to go down to College Station Friday night and watch that one for sure. Uh, Slash Dingle was nice enough to buy me tickets. They only get seven, and uh, those were all spoken for. So, yeah, he gets seven tickets. And he's like, you know what, I'll just – he sent them to me, like, electronically. And I'm like, man, I got to pay you back. Like, fuck, I didn't want you to buy my tickets, but thank you. Hey, you bring up tough endings. I, Steve might be remiss. I mean, we don't have to go through it. But, like, Jake, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with this, but – uh, I'll set the stage. It's it's the losers bracket. Virginia's climbing out of it. They got a good game against Texas, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're right. And um, was it the ninth inning? No, it was way earlier. You're talking when I blew it, right? I'm trying to be nice about it, but I think it's a compelling story that your actual last game, like that's tough. And I'm curious, like how your relationships with your buddies, like are they? They're probably great teammates, I would guess, right? They're Virginia guys. Of course, they're great teammates, oh, yeah. right? They were all right there for me because, you know, a large part of it was I was a big go out and play, not to sound like a home goods poster, but play every game like it's your last. And, you know, everybody knew when I was out there, it was pretty obvious I was giving it everything I got. So, Jake, so you know, I gave up a three-run bomb in Omaha against Mississippi State. And they ultimately won the game. And it was our first elimination. Or not our first elimination, our first loss. And then we lost the next day and went home. But it it was it was an interesting time. Like all my coaches and teammates knew like my arm was pretty dead going into that. And I, I was gonna give it everything I had. And I think they were just, you know, still happy with how far we had come given the circumstances. Because, like, there was a time last year when we were, like, 4-12 and 12 and probably not making our conference tournament. So we we kind of had a big turning point and turned it all around. So it was, like, 
when it was finally over, it was kind of, it was super sad, but also it was kind of a relief in the sense that like we could finally look back at how far we've come. If that makes sense. Yeah. And in the moment it can be hard to be excited or happy for, for what you accomplished. But then as time passes, you like, you start to understand and you're able to kind of take it all in a little bit more once the emotions like subside and realize how special what you guys did uh, truly was. Um, and you know, a lot of teams every year kind of go through that same thing. It's like they experience a crushing defeat at some point in the season. And then as, as time passes, it's like, man, what we did was pretty fucking cool. Even though the way it ended sucked. And at the end of the day, only one team wins the national championship. So, you know, you have to find, uh, find a way to, you know, enjoy those memories, even though you didn't end up, you know, holding the trophy at the end of the year. I mean, if you win a conference or you win um, regular season or the tournament or get, get, get to a regional, get past a regional, those are all amazing things that most teams that play college baseball never, never get to experience. Yeah. And for me, like after about a week, I, after everything happened and we were done, obviously I cried right after it ended. I cry after every season. That's just what I do. Cause I'm a bit of a baby. But I, I just remembered thinking like, damn, I just ended my career in Omaha at the College World Series. And I was a kid my senior year of high school who had one offer and was told I'd never be a Division One player. And it's like, well, that guy was an asshole. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, and you got a lot farther than I did, man. We lost in both of my regionals. And in 2006, we got beat by... Oklahoma, and then uh, 2007, we got beat by Rice. So, congrats, man! You did a hell of a lot better than I did. Thanks. I, I still paid to see you more than you paid to see me play. So, you got that. So, don't hang your head too. Long, I won't. Right? I won't. You're right, though. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> hey, it's all about perspective. So, you're gonna be in Omaha. We'll be in Omaha together. We'll, we're gonna catch a game and all that stuff. And um, Steve, you're gonna be out there. On- yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Well, we got, well, yeah, we'll do this again. With uh, Cespedes Barbecue for D1 Baseball. Yeah, we got to meet, I got to meet those guys. Those guys have been doing a good job on Twitter forever. Like, those those are funny guys. Like, uh, they're, they're a riot. <laughs> and congrats on, on what you're doing, man. And, uh, you know, I know the, I know the feeling of like doing a job so that you can do something you love on the side and just keep doing the college baseball stuff because, you know, you care about it it's it's obviously going to go somewhere you're making a difference you're making a name for yourself i've been following you for a year and you have like you're you like reasonably exploded in the last year with the stuff you're doing and so hopefully this brings some attention to the efforts and so what what are the handles and instagrams or twitters you're very active on twitter where can people follow the content and just as a slice you'll post like d3 stuff it's not just like d1 big program sec stuff it'll be crazy stuff like you know, 25-24 game in Division Two, or, like, you won't believe this pitcher threw right-handed yesterday and left-handed today. Like, you really mix in some wild college baseball stories that really represent what's kind of going on at that level. I think the best way to describe the Twitter is the weekend where in NAIA, for some reason, a kid ate 24 apples to set a record, and then I tweeted about it, and the next day I got a DM that said, Hey, new record just dropped. This kid ate 25. And the picture was this kid with all these apple cores looking like he was going to die. But if you're wondering what my Twitter is about, that's typically 
at the at the center of it. That's what it's all about. But my Twitter is Big Donkey Forty Seven. My Instagram is Stephen underscore Shock. Um, if you can figure out how to spell that, hat tip to you. Um, but I won't waste your time spelling it. You guys are smart. I believe in you. Hey man, thanks for thanks for being with us. Thanks for being on the show. And great meeting you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a blast and thanks for talking about the college game. I think it's something that often gets overlooked. So I appreciate y'all shining the light on it. Yeah, man, you bet. And it's a special time for, you know, it was for me. I know it was for you, Carl, as well. Um, and this is the best time for, for college baseball uh, during the year. So we look forward to seeing you out in Omaha. <laughs> I look forward to meeting you out there. And Carl, I can't wait to see you again. Yeah, big hugs indeed, my man. Big hugs and big beers. All right, that's Steven. We're, we'll be together in Omaha. It's going to be a great trip. The Sprinter van, I hope you got I hope you got room for some golf clubs maybe, or we're just going to have a nice time out there I'm gonna enjoy bring some them. of the good local yeah. eats. Yeah, I'm going to bring them. You never okay. know when we can you know break out for at least nine holes. So you got to bring yours with you too. Yep. Yeah. Well, I fly Southwest. You get to carry that on. No free ads for Southwest, but a huge Midway Airport guy. So opportunity for flex some loyalty going out to Omaha. Um, so – Pretty loaded week, obviously. A lot of moving parts here. Water park episode. Hopefully, you guys are subscribing to the YouTube channel. Um, we are going to be in Omaha, obviously, like we've talked about with Steven. That's a big thing coming up for us. And honestly, man, just kind of getting caught up with with these storylines. It's team meeting season. It's moving and shaking season around Major League Baseball, Jake. Uh, I am curious as we kind of wrap this show. How was your first? How was your first year being a full time? You know, being a full-time dad and stuff. Are you enjoying retirement as, as much as you thought? Man, more more than I thought. And I'm, I, I've always been a full-time dad. Just, you know, I have some other responsibilities too. So don't, don't take that away from me. Okay. Um, and I was talking, I was talking <laughs> to a guy earlier and uh, saying, Hey, you know, do you, do you miss playing and how's the transition? I said, look, I, I, it was just my time. I'm, I'm, I was ready for this. Uh, the things I'm doing now, uh, I wouldn't want to do anything else, you know, being able to spend as much time as I can with my kids. It's summer, you know, I'm coaching their sports. Uh, I'm, you know, really enjoying doing this podcast and there's a lot of things that, that I look forward to doing uh, in the future. So, so no, it's been, it's been amazing. Uh, and I can't wait to see what happens, you know, over the next couple of years, my kids are already growing up, which, which kind of sucks, you know? And, and that's another reason I work out as much as I do, because I'm trying to kick Cooper's ass in everything for as long as possible because at some, at some point that ship's going to sail playing golf with daniel hudson yesterday told me a story about how the strength and condition conditioning coach for the white Sox when he was a rookie with the white Sox, had a nine-year-old son hanging around the clubhouse and and they'd play catch and the son was always hanging around nine younger than cooper okay he's a starting fucking center fielder for the diamondbacks now and and huddy's got to play against them and he's like, you have no idea how weird that is, dude. Yeah. He's like, I literally, this was a nine-year-old boy mm -hmm. when I was in the big leagues. And now he's a center fielder for the Diamondbacks and stuff. Time's going to move pretty quick, man. It is. It is. And, you know, I was very fortunate that Cooper was able to kind of grow up in a clubhouse and and see kind of the culture and, and the lifestyle that uh, that we kind of took on as players. And um, it, I feel like it's, it's made him mature. Uh, much more quickly so uh, yeah it definitely has its advantages uh, especially if if those kids end up playing baseball so that that's a very cool story and I, I've seen it a lot you know there's been a lot of kids that have grown up in clubhouses that have ended up playing in the big leagues 
No pressure, Coop. Zero. Yeah. Well, he, he better fucking play. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, okay, good show. Good week, boys. Everybody have a good weekend. Colin, weekend playing, slapping cheeks. What do you got, bud? Slapping cheeks. I'm going to the Belmont Stakes on Saturday with my yeah. pops and brother. Uh, so we'll go horse racing in. Get to see the, the uh, Kentucky Derby and Preakness winner. So that'll be nice. Uh, probably hit up the beach again. I'm heading down to AM. Oh, I'm heading down to AM College Station to watch uh, game one of the Super Regional Friday. I don't believe that Cooper's playing in a baseball tournament this weekend. We're going to give him the weekend off. So we're just going to enjoy some college baseball. Excellent. And good luck to my brother, Ice Crusaders. My high school baseball team has advanced to the state quarterfinals. Uh, or no, I think the state semifinals. They're in the final four in the biggest division in Illinois. These are Chicago kids. It's a good team. Sean McBride's a coach leading these boys. It's been fun to watch it as alum. I'm very into the high school stuff. They have a devastating matchup against Edwardsville, which is a powerhouse in Southern Illinois out of the St. Louis area. So this is a good old fashioned Chicago St. Louis kid showdown. Good luck to the Brother Ice Crusaders and all our other high school listeners out there that have games this weekend as they compete for state championships. And congratulations on seasons that ended too early. That's my right. cousin. That's right. Yeah. Good luck to your boys. Yeah. I hope they win it. Man. I hope they win. Thank it. you. They're all fucking subscribed to the show. Good. So. Good. Th- yep. Send them. Send them my love. Hell yeah. I hope they win it. All right, boys. Until next time, everybody have a safe weekend and uh, enjoy some baseball. Peace.